Real variety for your work day. This is season three of the Fat Doctor podcast and I'm your host, Dr. Asha Lamy. We're going to be talking all things related to weight stigma, fat phobia and fat activism over the next few weeks and months. I'll be joined by a host of regular guests as well as some experts across the fat activism sphere. So all you need to do now is sit down, relax and listen in. So welcome back to episode, I think it's five. Is it five? It's five. Maybe I'll try that again. Welcome back to episode five. No, I won't because I'll just keep going. <laughs> Welcome back to episode five. Um, I am joined today by another excellent person and very good friend of mine. You can see a theme now, can't you? That's basically all I do. Invite my mates on to record podcasts with me. Um, I'm I've, I'm done with the introductions. I find it too stressful. So I'm going to pass over to them to introduce themselves. Hi, I am Cara McBee. I am just a fat queer person on the internet. I don't really know how else to introduce myself other than that. Yeah, that that's that's me. I try and be funny sometimes whilst talking about very serious issues of fat activism and queer activism and stuff. But um, but yeah, it's not much else to know, really. See, I've just realised that actually you this was you were the wrong choice for this episode because you make me laugh all the time. And sometimes inappropriately, I'll laugh. <laughs> and we're doing an, an episode on cancer. And I feel like perhaps we might laugh wow. accidentally and I might have to edit that out because perhaps, you know, there'll be, well, but but maybe we do need to make light of, of these serious things because sometimes we can be a bit too serious. I mean, that's, that's my love language slash communication style is laughing at really dark stuff. So, mm. yeah. <laughs> this will this will be an interesting ride. This this could go well. This could go terribly, and I'm, I'm releasing it on Wednesday. And it's, it's no Monday. matter what, right? Good. So okay, good to know. It's happening. Whatever happens, this is how it's going to turn out. So I'm not going to edit any of this out. Everyone needs to know where we're at at the beginning. Brilliant. Good. So that they can yeah. Follow along with us, so I can be cancelled for being the person that laughs about cancer <laughs> on the internet <laughs> instead of a fat person on the internet. Good. Great. Cancelled for the same thing. And um, everybody knows <laughs> Cara anyway. So that's why I'm like, oh, introduce yourself. Everybody knows who you are. I don't know anyone that doesn't know who you are. Everybody in the fattosphere knows who you are. I think it's your the fattosphere. What a great word. I've made it up, just coined it now. TM. Um, yep. So, um, yeah, everyone in the fattosphere knows who you are. Um, but you, we can confirm in this moment that you are not a doctor or a medical professional. Can we- not at all. No, goodness for that. I'm not really a big fan of medical professionals. Um, and also, um, that you are an owner of breasts. I am. You have, yes, yeah, absolutely fucking massive ones as well. (laughs) Just thought I'd throw that, throw that in there. All right, all right. I mean, just not not regular ones, massive ones, yeah, massive ones, fucking great big baps. Mine are, mine are sort of, I would say disproportionately small, actually, for the rest of me. But I do have two. I do have two of my own. And so I think that makes you an expert already um, because we're going to talk right. about breast cancer. And um, the reason I wanted to do this podcast is because there is a surgeon on Twitter and her name is, I'm going to say Liz O'Royden. I think that's correct. Oh, yes. Oh, you see. I, yeah, I know the one. Yeah. Uh, she is a breast cancer surgeon. She is a breast cancer survivor. So uh, she's quite, quite popular, quite well known on Twitter. Um, and I would say probably now two or three weeks ago, she put out a video that infuriated me because it was a lie, a one big fat lie. Um, and 
I have wanted to, I have asked her several times to take the video down because it is incorrect and it's misinformation and she shouldn't mm. put it up there. Uh, but she doesn't listen to me. She just ignores me and pretends like What's she selling? I I'm not sure. Oh, her book. She's she's. Uh, she's there's always something. Book. There's always something. If there's misinformation from an actual medical doctor, it's because they're trying to sell something, right? Yes. Although I actually think she also just holds in a tremendous amount of anti-fat bias, and it comes across as a sort of pity um, and a sort oh. of patronising. It, it's not. Um, it feels she she. I sense that she's someone who doesn't like to think of herself as fat phobic, but is tremendously fat phobic. Yeah. Um, right. Gotcha. But she's also lying in the video. And I I, I I don't want to play the video on the podcast. I'm not sure that's legal, if it's copyright. So I'm just going to read out some of what she says. All right. Prepare to be horrified because I'm now going to spend the rest of the podcast disproving all of this. Obesity, sorry, she used the term, not me, is associated with a 35 to 40% risk of recurrence and death, regardless of your menopausal status. This is with regards to breast cancer, obviously, because she's doing breast cancer videos. That's a really hard fact to hear. I'm doing it in her voice. That's a really hard fact to hear. But it doesn't mean that every overweight woman has a 40% chance of dying from breast cancer. Not just women have breasts, sorry. Just sort of interject there for the start. Yeah. Yeah, well done. I was glad you said that because, you know, (laughs) I can tell we're already on the same page. But yes, of course, in her mind, only women have breasts. Um, It means that your own individual risk of recurrence and death is increased by 40%. Let's, and then she goes on a bit and she talks about the fact that you can predict using a calculator a person's um, risk of being alive 10 years down the line. There are these calculators, which I mean, I, 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 personally object to them I think they're very unhelpful but Mm. some people want to know their risk right well some people want to know well what chances are there that I'm going to be alive 10 years from now and there's a it's not accurate but as accurate as possible way to predict based on the stage of your tumor the type of your tumor you know how far it spread is it infected the lymph nodes has it affected anything else um what it looks like under a microscope all of those things it's it's mainly on those things your age whether or not you're going through the menopause or not have been through the menopause those are the things. It's got nothing to do with weight. Nothing. Weight doesn't come into it. But it can predict your risk of recurrence. Right. So she goes on to talk about that. I didn't I didn't bother to um, write all of that down. And she says, let's say that your predicted chance of being alive 10 years after di- diagnosis is 80%. That means that you have a 20% risk of dying from breast cancer in 10 years. Good master. Yeah, well done. And this is the bit that I lost my shit collective shit there was lots of me at the time all very angry um if you are overweight that risk increases from 20 to 28 percent and the greater the risk of recurrence the greater the impact your weight might have say that again after the 28 percent bit say that last sentence again the greater the risk of recurrence the greater the impact your weight might have you see because Liz has done some basic maths and she knows that if your chance time is 20%, mm. but you're fat, that means it's 40% more likely. So that takes you from 20 to 28% because 40% of 20% of 20% is 8%. Now it's tricky maths. It's tricky maths. <clears throat> right, right. You, you with me? You with me? Well, right. yeah. I see where she's going. Yeah, you see where she's going. So if you've got got a 40% risk of dying, then 40% of 40% is is, is 16. 
Oh, of course. Okay. Basic maths. <laughs> basic maths. Come on, it's, it's 16. It's a 16. To be fair, a second ago, we were like, yeah, great math, Liz. And now we're like, hang on, hang on. This has gone too far. It's gone too far. Hopefully I had to see that part out. Um, I don't care what you think of me as a human being, but I want you to respect my basic mathematical <laughs> skills. All right, fine. Sorry. So we're not editing it out. People need to know. So it's, it's gone up by 6%. So, so then it went from 40 and it, then it went up by 16% rather than 8%. And that's what she's trying I to see. imply because she's doing basic maths. And also because 8% is a bit like, eh. so she had mm. to make it a bit sound bigger somehow. So apart from the fact that she, you know, assumes every person with breasts is a woman and we're both people with breasts that don't, that aren't women, but then yeah. in spite of that nonsense, yeah, what did you think of that statement? What would you think if you had cancer or even if you didn't have cancer? How do you feel about that one? Well, I, ju- I just hate the fact that she's inserted into these conversations all the time, immediately as the biggest risk factor, because I think it's, it's nice and easy for people. It's a nice tangible thing that people think is within their control. So it's a it's a great hook for people when you're talking about this stuff. Like, oh, good, yes, I can, you know, I can control that. That's fine. But again, like, I, I mean, I've you've spoken to me about the research that you do about causation and correlation and how they're not the same thing, and the science is there. The science is there, and what pisses me off with medical professionals especially is that they're just are they ignoring that are they not bothering to seek it I don't understand how they can feel so sure just because it's written somewhere that you know fatness increases the risk of certain things like they just take that and run with it and I hate it technically fatness doesn't increase the risk of anything there is an increased incidence of breast cancer in fat people and there there are studies that show this so there was a study done in January 2018 it's called the association between body mass index and breast cancer risk and it was a a meta-analysis and they basically looked at all the people that had breast cancer and looked at their weight Um, and they found that the incidence of breast cancer went up by about two percent with every increase of five kilograms per meter squared so between 25 and 30 the the risk went up by two percent the the association was very weak based on the fact that there was lots of heterogeneity which basically means lots of different studies some showed positive some showed negative so Mm. that's not very reliable when some are saying actually it's better when you're fat and some people are saying it's worse when you're fat then you know who do you believe also weight and fat are not the same thing either you know in terms of body fat percentage Absolutely. The data was, you know, different because uh, different geographic locations. It was interesting. I found that all of the studies that were done in Asian countries, Korea, China, Japan, that kind of thing, had a much stronger association than ones done in the US, the UK and Europe. It was interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't mm. know why that might be. It may be because um, people in Asia tend to be smaller. So maybe you're experiencing a lot more stigma if you're in a larger body in Asia yes yeah it was just a sort of that's just a theory I couldn't tell you why that was and the longest follow-up was 10 years the study populations were very young so they weren't actually getting that many breast cancers in these studies Um, so that's probably why the data wasn't very accurate and the only thing they used was body mass index which we as you said it's not a good assessment of adiposity is it I mean BMI is rubbish 
And I'd like to point out also that no men or trans folks were included in any of these studies. And there wasn't anyone with a BMI of over 40 in any of these studies. So they great. Yeah. Yeah. They've excluded a whole bunch of people. So it's not it's not a massively reliable study. It's a weak positive. That's the best we can say. And to put it into perspective, there are studies that show um, for every year that you breastfeed, your chances of breast cancer go down instead of up. They go down by 4.3 percent. Wow. So if my BMI is, you know, twice what it should be, um, then technically, you know, my risk has gone up by, again, I should be able to do that maths, 10%. But if I've breastfed for three years, the studies show that my risk has gone down by 12%. Mm. So, you know, to put it into perspective, it is an increase, but it's not like this massive increase that, you know, we should all be terrified about. There's just too many moving parts always. Yeah. And, you know, it's a very common cancer is breast cancer. None of us want to get mm-hmm. it. But statistically speaking, quite a few of us will. So, um, you know, we need to know that actually <clears throat> the, the, the biggest risk, of course, is genetics. Um, but other than that, unfortunately, when it comes to cancer, you know, there's very little that we can do to prevent it. And there's no evidence that if you lose weight, you can prevent cancer. None whatsoever. There's no evidence that exists to suggest that. So, but the thing about what Liz said, Liz wasn't talking about whether you get cancer. She was talking about recurrence. And, I, and I, I was trying to put myself into the position of somebody who had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And, and to, to hear that, like, I don't know, if like you try to imagine yourself right now, imagine the worst and you've been told mm. you have breast cancer. How would you feel if you saw that video? So my first thought would be if, you know, because I mean, cancer is brutal. I've seen it with family members and I've seen what their bodies get put through not just from the disease itself but all the treatments and everything else if you've gone through all of that and you've come out the other side and then someone's saying well you know you've still got to really manage your body size knowing what I know now about body size and the lengths that you have to go to to actually lose weight most of us they are extreme measures they are not healthy measures and so if you've survived this disease and your body is in a bigger size I think I would just be fucking grateful to still be on the planet and I would not want to have to be focusing on dieting and stressing myself in the gym I'm not saying that getting adequate nutrients and moving your body are not good things I'm never saying that they are good things but if the focus is on weight loss it so quickly turns into behaviors that are not healthy and I think that's dangerous. If you're spreading the message that, you know, if you recover from cancer, better not be fat because it's going to come back. Like that's, it's just, it just puts the focus in the wrong place completely. But it's just a nice thing for people to hear. And it just confirms their bias that already exists. And so it gains traction and popularity. And these voices get elevated when they're saying this stuff. And I hate it. Mm. So, of course, what she said is complete utter crap for many reasons. First of all, um, she's talking about science that we'll look at in a minute and we'll see how reliable the science is. But even if there was a hazard ratio for a population study that was 40 percent higher, you know, or, you know, the 2 percent increase in risk with every five um, you know, points on your BMI scale. That's a population-based study. You cannot infer individual risk from a population-based study. Like it's not mm. a, it, it, individual risk and population risk are two completely separate things. Predicting individual risk is actually really, really difficult, which is why I have a problem with the risk calculators, all risk calculators. They don't take so many things into context. They take 
some things, which is better than no things, but it's still not enough things. And I think walking around thinking, oh, great, I've got a 20% chance of dying in the next 10 years is is, is not helpful. It, shouldn't be, it wouldn't be helpful mm. for me. But I can understand why it would be helpful for some people, and I appreciate that. But suggesting that you can therefore use that hazard ratio to calculate an individual risk is just it's shocking. It's not It's not maths. It's not medicine. It's not anything. Everybody who's done a basic bit of medical statistics should know that you just can't do that, especially the idea that the more advanced your cancer is, the, the more of an impact your weight will have. Because, again, that has to be demonstrated by data, which it isn't. Mm. So, so she's literally lying. And yeah. so if I'm a fat person who has been given a 20% chance of death in the next 10 years, and I now read this or see this and go, oh, my gosh, actually, my risk is not 20 percent. It's 28 percent. That's almost an extra 10 percent. Yeah, you're right. I'm going to panic and I'm going to think, oh, my gosh, um, I need to lose weight. And I might choose to do that in quite a drastic way that actually takes away from my nutritional you know, yeah. needs rather than adding to it. Because people do crazy things like go on 800 calories a day, which if you've got cancer is probably the worst thing you could do. Any yeah. form of dieting is going to put your body in, into an acute stress. And the last thing you want to do when you've got cancer is put your body into acute stress. So horrible stuff. I'm going to read a little bit about the science because, you know, that's what I do. And then you can rein me in. So there's four studies that look at recurrence. The first one, um, effects of, of obesity on survival of women with breast cancer. You'll find women in yeah, every title. Yeah. So this is a systematic review and a meta-analysis. And it, it did show a difference in both the overall and the disease-specific survival rates. So just basically overall mortality and breast cancer survival rates. It did show. But it also said... It, it actually said in a study, no study has elucidated the causal mechanism and there is currently no evidence that weight loss after diagnosis improves survival. And it goes on to say, consequently, there is currently no reason to place the additional burden of weight loss on women already burdened with the diagnosis of cancer. There you go. Which is exactly what you just said. Don't you feel clever now? <laughs> no, I never feel clever. <laughs> But that's, you know, that's an issue for another day on my therapist. But yeah, I could rant about this all day. I really could. And I pointed out recently that because, I mean, this is something that people often miss. And my focus is is on fat people, right? Like, you know, if you're slim and especially if you're slim and fat phobic, you know, you are not. I'm not saying I don't care about you, but you're not my main focus. However, slim people don't fully grasp how fat phobia also affects them because a lot of them are walking around thinking, well, I'm fine because I'm not fat. And they're missing their own red flags and they're assuming their own health. I remember when I was um, in one job I had and a guy came into the office and everyone was congratulating him because he'd got back to work after recovering from cancer and he'd not met me before. So he sat down and and started talking to me about it. And he was like, you know, I've never been fat. I've always been a runner. You know, I love my vegetables. I'm vegan. And he listed all of these things that, to him were markers of good health and he was looking at me like and I and I still got it you know he was looking at me like it can happen to anyone you know but he still was trying to say to me so you know and obviously looking at my body up and down my fat body like so you know if it can happen to me 
you need to be extra careful. Like it, mm. it, it's definitely going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I just thought you're still seem to be under the illusion that this was some fluke occurrence that it happened to you. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it doesn't, cancer doesn't discriminate. No, it's an equal opportunist. Like it's yeah. not going to judge you based on your body. That's so true. And I mean, talking to Sarah Jane last week, I'm, I'm sure having heard her story many times now, but that for sure, if she had been smaller, she mm. wouldn't have survived. And I've met quite a few people who have survived terrible cancers um, and have gone through really awful kind of like chemo and, 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 and all sorts of things that, you know, were pretty hardcore. And I just thought, God, mm. if you were really skinny to start with, your body just couldn't have handled it. It didn't have yeah trick to withstand because fat, fat can be protective, as we will learn in a moment. A lot of people talk about, oh, you know, the mechanism, because this is the thing when you're looking at studies and it shows, you know, an, an incidence an increased incidence or an association between two things you've got to figure out what the actual mechanism might be otherwise it is probably just coincidence right it's just spurious like you know I could I could find someone put one up on Twitter the other day and I can't remember what it was but it was something like Nicolas Cage movies and mass shootings or something ridiculous like that like there was a study that showed an absolute correlation with the number of Nicolas Cage movies people watched compared to mass shootings or something completely bizarre and it was obvious that it's just coincidence yeah so 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 finding that kind of mechanism or at least coming up with some decent theories and then finding the evidence that sort of supports that so you have a hypothesis and then you go and check like is this true and then you figure it Mm. out so people are obsessed with the idea that, especially in breast cancer, all it's about the oestrogen. It's about the oestrogen because it's, you know, breast cancer can be oestrogen positive. It's all about the oestrogen. Um, and, you know, fat people have more oestrogen receptors. Oh, it's oestrogen, oestrogen related, definitely oestrogen related. Okay, so meta-analysis here. Um, body size and breast cancer prognosis in relation, relation to hormone receptor and menopausal status. They looked at 21 studies um, and they found that the difference in the risk between estrogen receptor and progesterone receptor positive cancers and for negative cancers. So either you had the estrogen or progesterone receptor positive ones, the estrogen uh, progesterone receptor negative ones, there was no difference. There was no significant difference in it. And that was the same whether you were premenopausal or postmenopausal, whether you adjusted for BMI measurement techniques, years of follow-up, study design, didn't matter. There was no difference between estrogen positive and estrogen negative cancers, thus demonstrating that estrogen can't be no. the main mechanism because how could it be if there's no difference in risk? But they're obsessed with it, right? Like you'll hear people talking about it all the time. Oh, it's estrogen. Oh, it's estrogen. Oh, estrogen. So riddle me that one, Batman. Why is That's that? Why, why? Just they're just plucking it out of their arseholes, aren't they? <laughs> I just it's infuriating because. You know, I I do I really trust in science, right? I trust scientists. You know, I get I get my jabs because I I trust in the science. I just have a massive distrust of medical doctors because they are not scientists. They are people who have taken the science and learned about the science, or you know, the bits that they've been presented with, learnt it, and you know, obviously not to discredit you know, the hard work it takes to become a doctor and all the studying you have to do. But then they appear to kind of sit back and be like, right, that's it, job done. I know best about everything. And that's it. And that's like, really? You're just ending your your knowledge there? 
and the, and th there's a lot of arrogance in the field as well and i just it, it, it's 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 so infuriating because when you when you go into a doctor's office especially if you're in any kind of marginalized body you're immediately on the back foot and you're supposed to trust this person as an authority on your body and half the time they just haven't even got your best interests at heart because their biases are getting in the way and they don't care to expand their knowledge or to understand how the knowledge that they've learned from was biased in itself a lot of the time. Hmm. It, uh, how are we supposed to feel cared for? Because we just don't. I, I talk to so many people now that the moment they get that cancer diagnosis, the fat phobia is straight in there. Like hmm. They don't even have a chance, a moment to breathe before people come in with a, with a fat phobia. Um, and, and, and sometimes they're told, complete nonsense so this there's this one study that like looked at 82 studies so it's a massive meta-analysis and this is where the 40 percent comes from because in the meta-analysis there is a 41 percent increased risk for all-cause mortality and a 35 percent increased risk from breast cancer mortality in people with a high bmi before diagnosis so if you're fat before you're diagnosed with breast cancer, your risk of breast cancer death is 35% higher than if you're quote unquote normal weight. And it's 41% or 40% from, from everything. But if your BMI is high 12 months after surgery, your risk drops massively. That shows that people who are in a large body when they get diagnosed, they have quite a bad high mortality rate compared to people who get bigger up to 12 months after their surgery and you might say well why would people gain weight after their surgery because chemo makes people gain weight everyone thinks chemo mm. makes weight but actually lots of people gain weight with chemo um so this is a really interesting fact as far as i'm concerned because i'm always telling people look the incidence of of you know worse mortality higher mortality higher recurrence rates of course breast cancer mortality it should it, you know it seems obvious to me but it might not be obvious to everybody it, the breast cancer mortality is because you have a recurrence from the breast cancer. Yeah. It comes back and you die from that. So the statistic that she was talking about, that recurrence rate, that 35% that she came up with, that comes from this study. And um, I, I've always maintained, yes, there's an association. Yes, we know that. Like, I'm not denying that statistic. That's 82 follow-up studies they looked at. But why? Yeah. Why is this happening? And could it be? that people are simply getting diagnosed later because doctors are less likely to take a history. Doctors are less likely to examine breasts properly. They might look at a person's breast and be like, oh, I'm not going to be able to feel anything. Or they don't do an adequate breast examination because they don't refer as often because um, people are avoiding medical care because of the weight stigma. You know, they, they, you know, they feel something and they put it off. They feel a lump in their arm. They put it off um, under their arm, not in their arm. So on and so forth. So could it be that that's one of the reasons why you have a higher mortality rate? Could it be that the stress of being in a larger body, the weight stigma that we experience on a daily basis, and also potentially the stress of dieting and all the stress of dieting, you know, pr prior to this, mm. could have an impact on it? Could it be um, that uh, you know we've had weight, weight fluctuations throughout our life, so weight cycling? Could that? part of it so all of these things per perfectly good reasons but isn't it interesting that people who weren't fat at diagnosis but got fat later have a much lower risk yeah it almost suggests that if you are fat to start with 
your risk is really high. But if you get fatter later, it's not so bad. I wonder why that might be. Could that be because the delay in diagnosis is no longer relevant? Exactly. So to me. Yeah. Also, these studies, I mean, it's incredible to me that they are, they're so mixed, you know, it's such a mixed bag, like they're so difficult to compare. For example, there's no information on how advanced the cancer was at the time of diagnosis in all these different groups. You'd think that might be relevant. You'd think, wouldn't you? (laughs) It's the most relevant part. So if we can't, if we can't look at that, like how can we make any, how can we draw any conclusions And we also have no information about whether the weight changes were intentional or not, you know, because people lose weight and gain weight in cancer. So, of course, we don't know that. And they didn't look at things like race or ethnicity, treatment types. They didn't look at all sorts of things. They didn't consider the fact that people, notoriously, people with a higher BMI are underdosed at the chemo stage of their therapy. So if you're in a much larger body, you tend to receive not enough chemotherapy. There we go. See? Why is that? Because we don't have enough studies on people who have larger bodies. All of these things are going to factor into it. And again, you start to see, begin to unravel and see that actually weight stigma plays a huge role in this Mm. at all the different levels. So if you've not got enough information or data about chemotherapy in larger bodies and you are underdosing fat people with breast cancer and not giving them enough chemotherapy and their cancer is recurring, that's weight stigma at every step of the way, right? It's weight stigma in the research. It's weight stigma in the treatment process. It's weight stigma for the patient. It's everybody's experiencing yeah. you know, throughout the journey, throughout the cancer journey. And that really just makes me so angry. Yeah. Even if you're lucky enough to have practitioners all along the way who are actively trying not to be fatphobic, there's all sorts of issues like MRI machines are not built to fit bigger bodies that's going to delay that will put a delay on an appointment for getting scans that you need there's the the list is endless that's why we say it's a systemic issue it's not just about people and their opinions and you know being a bit rude if you've got a fat body it's not just that it's the way everything is built to limit access to certain people right and it it begins to feel intentional Mm, absolutely yeah it begins to feel like, like, why are you excluding people with a BMI of over 35 or 40 from your study? Like, what's the purpose here? I don't get it. Why aren't you making machines that are just big enough to accommodate everybody? I don't get it. Like, why make a machine if it doesn't fit all bodies? It just, just make a machine that does. It's not difficult. Yeah, just exactly. create a better one. You can do it for animals. So you've got, you know, animals yeah. come in all different shapes and sizes and there's all the equipment to deal with every single species of animals, you know, keep them healthy, well, you know, obviously when they're in captivity to you know keep them keep them okay so it's possible it's not like it's not technically possible if you can send a rocket the shape of a dildo up into space and back (laughs) you can fucking build a decent mri machine like don't you think like i mean there's no reason and the elusive practitioner that actually cares about you and, and is trying not to stigmatize you throughout your journey that they exist i know they do but they're just so few mm. and far between mm. you know that's like a unicorn practically and it should be the opposite way around um there's one more study which is probably where the data comes from as well this is from goodwin et al this is insulin and obesity related variables in early stage breast cancer correlations and time course of prognostic associations don't you think doctors or wankers or researchers are like why do you have to create a, a, a title like it's a title dude Just but like- that's another thing that's actually another 
area where everything's inaccessible because mm-hmm. if these studies were easier to interpret for everybody and not just you know science boffins I would much prefer that because then I wouldn't get people throwing things at me like here's the CDC's website it quite clearly states that science says obesity is a problem and it's like but uh, delve deeper delve deeper but to be fair I I struggle to delve deeper because I get overwhelmed by the wordiness of it and you know if I didn't have people like you to turn to and be like is this bullshit or is it not I would be lost in a sea of it myself so me too like that you know it's not just you and it doesn't isn't that worrying like Mm. I'm a doctor that's supposed to be reading these things and actually making you know assessments based on it no not at all quite the opposite I I spend hours like I'm better now I've learned a lot Reagan really helps Reagan Chester is amazing Mm. and um there were a few other people that kind of you know in our group of friends actually who are brilliant and I can sometimes go help what does this mean yeah but actually um there's a way to read them and even now you know even that 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 title I was like what I don't even understand what that means I have to Mm. read it four times just to understand the flipping title and and they're so sneaky and that's what's so this one so sneaky so you know that 40 percent right that she got it from so the one study showed 35 percent and this study shows 40 percent which is why she says between 35 and 40 oh my gosh that's only with a univariable analysis now univariable analysis means that they're they're, they're not adjusting for lots of different sort of factors. So right. you, a multivariable analysis is, is much more robust, much more reliable, right? So the 40%, it dropped to 15. Oh, wow. 15 with a multivariable um, analysis. There you go. Why are we quoting 40? But, you know, it's, it's in there, in the conclusion, in the abstract, it says 40. But if you look and you look at the table, and my goodness, this table is so difficult to interpret, but you've got to look really carefully. Mm. You go in and you're like, hang on a second. That says 40, but that one says 15. What's the difference? Oh, that's multivariable and that's univariable. Wait a minute, isn't multivariable better? Huh. But this is what's pissing me off as well. You say you've gone to this doctor and said, this is false information. Here's why. Look, I'm laying it out for you. Now, a good scientist or a good medical professional would be like, damn it, I care about the people. I do not want to misinform them. Why are they clinging on to it? Why then? Why are they refusing to listen? Do you know what she said? And I'm, I'm now paraphrasing. Listen, I work very hard to get these information videos out there. I don't get paid. I do it out of the goodness of my own heart. And um, that's her defence. Out of the goodness of your heart, so, but you've, you're be, it's being explained to you that you're misinforming people. Where What happened to the goodness in the heart there? Yeah. No. Even if she hadn't, I mean, you'd think she'd read these studies, right? This is a breast cancer surgeon talking about breast cancer surgery and recurrence rates. Uh, I'm a GP. I have to read studies about everything. Mm. Breast cancer is not my speciality. I had to specifically go, after she'd made those videos, I had to specifically go into the research, do a PubMed search, look for all the meta-analyses, go through all of them, find the ones that are relevant. Took me ages, also free of charge, by the way. Um, But I did it because I knew what she was saying was wrong and I wanted to disprove her. But she should have known in the first place. She she should have read this. It's a huge study. Like, it's massive. And that's where she got her statistic from. But she's not pointing to these studies. She's got a picture from the menopausal, the British Menopausal Society. Or is it the British Menopausal Society? She got it from? I can't remember where it was from. Um, But, yeah, she's got it from, like, she's got this little infographic that has 35 to 40%. And that's her proof. I was like, 
where's the study? You know, not I don't want the shitty graphic from the CDC or the WHO because they have their own agenda. I'm not interested yeah. in their bit of propaganda. I want to know what the actual study says because if you look close enough, that 40% is not true. It's 15%. It's significantly lower. That's less than half, right? So it's it's really frustrating. And the other thing that I didn't mention is, of course, they have found without doubt that in people who are premenopausal, being fat decreases your risk of breast cancer. This it makes it even worse that she has said, out of the goodness of her heart. So she's not actually put enough effort into looking at the studies before she's putting information forward. There's no that that's not having people's best interests at heart. It's just not. So what is her fucking agenda? That's pissed me off even more because it's not, it's not. If you either that or you thought, you know, it's good for everybody else because I'm just going to help people to motivate themselves to not be fat because I hate fat people. Hmm. Like, fuck off. Yeah. I don't think it helps that she's a particularly slim person. And in the comments, somebody had written something along the lines of, but. I'm not obese and I, you know, I still got it. She said, well, neither am I. But, you know, it's that's not, you know, it's just statistics. Just because you're statistically more likely doesn't mean it's good. You know, and I was just like, you, how dare you? Um, but, there, but there is actually information that shows that being in a larger body when you're premenopausal actually protects you from breast cancer. And that's not a weak association. That is a strong association. There's no wow. question there that every study is able to replicate the same thing. There is a definite decrease in chances of getting breast cancer. This isn't about recurrence after breast cancer. This is about getting breast cancer. So if you are, if you're premenopausal and you get breast cancer and people go, oh, it's because you're fat. We don't know, quite the opposite, actually. I shouldn't have got it because I'm fat. I'm just bloody unlucky, you know? Um, So to sum up, there there is an increased risk. We know this. Mm. Uh, or no, sorry, there is an increased incident. I'm not even going to say risk because risk, yeah. Yeah. risk in the medical sense probably doesn't mean what risk means to everybody else. So let's not use that mm. word. It's a, it's a very stigmatizing word. There is an increased incidence in higher weight people when it comes to breast cancer, both on, on diagnosis, that's a very weak increased risk, and definitely um, when it comes to recurrence, that's a, that's a higher, a more strongly associated risk. But it's not as high as people say, in fact. It's looking more like 15%, not 40 There is no mechanism, mechanism of action to explain this, right? The only thing people can come up with is estrogen, and we've already said that that's not the case. So all of the ones I mentioned, like stress and weight stigma and weight cycling, they, they've never been investigated. No one's ever bothered to look at those because that would imply that we'd have to do something about it. None of us mm. would do anything about that. It could be doctor bias, of course, delayed examinations, investigations. It could be inequalities in healthcare, simply that you just don't have access to the same quality of healthcare if you're in a large body, especially if you have a whole multiple marginalised identities, of course, yeah. because if you're, um, you know, fat and, uh, and low income family and you're disabled, that's significantly higher risk anyway, because both of those yeah. things would increase your risk. We have zero evidence that weight loss after surgery will improve your risk of recurrence like zero evidence and because you know as one of those studies says because actually when you get breast cancer that's a really stressful time it's awful you're going through so much hell the last thing you want to do is burden you with weight loss especially since we have no evidence that weight loss works and then of course we have to remember weight loss is unsustainable for up to 98 percent of people so even if it did work you know you can't sustain it for 10 years so what are you going to do just like 
lose it and then gain it and then think oh no I've gained it back now I'm going to die you know it's not helpful for anyone no and I, I personally think it is negligent for anyone to even bring up weight when someone's been diagnosed with cancer like yeah the only time I need to weigh you is when we're working out your days of chemo that's essential that's it like, why else do we need to talk about your weight at any point in time? And even when we're dosing you for chemo, like we don't have to tell you your weight. We just have to get you to get on the scales, look at your number and work out how much chemo you need. You don't need to have a conversation there. Hearing Sarah Jane's story, I think, and listening to how hard it is to navigate cancer journey, if you want to call it that, as a fat person, it just makes me realise like the unnecessary added burden that you're mm. placing on people in larger bodies. Isn't that going to impact their outcomes exactly. as well? Exactly. And I just, and I think as well, a lot of fat people still will not be aware of all this stuff and they still will be believing themselves that fat is bad and they will be completely trusting of their doctors when they say, you know, weight loss is the thing. And what are they doing by the way? Because the NHS have got a ton of uh, actual diet programs, even on their website, you know, saying talking about if you need to control your weight, here's what you can do. Slimming world is one of them. So you're telling me now they're sending cancer patients to Slimming World, where was it you that told me that a smooth a fruit smoothie is a sin, but if you eat an actual apple, it's fine. Like stuff like that. How is that health promoting? An avocado is I don't know how many sins. Um, I mean, we, we can talk about the use of the word sin in a minute, but um mm. I can't remember how many an avocado is, but then like a potato is zero sins, and you're just like, because an av- avocado has fat in it, I'm assuming. Avocados are shown to be quite fine and like you said fruit in the form of a smoothie is wrong but actually we have plenty of evidence that get as much fruit as you can in you and if you're gonna get it into a smoothie fine like I don't care just get some fruit into you because it's good for you it's bullshit yes patients really genuinely do get referred to Slimming World yeah. um speaking of Slimming World um they also sponsor Cancer Research UK and have had a huge oh. role hand in the way that Cancer Research UK has been kind of you know, they're a bit of propaganda. I'm going to call it propaganda because that's exactly what mm, it is. Yeah. They're a bit of propaganda about um, cancer and, and weight and, and and yeah, size. That's also very much a partnership, if you will. Slimming World, a well-known diet company. People outside the UK probably haven't heard of it, but it's like Weight Watchers, Jenny Quake, any of those things, same thing. And they sponsor our, I think they're one of the biggest um, partnerships that they have they, they spend millions every year on cancer research uk and cancer wow. research uk has a lot of influence a lot of influence on the government whenever we're doing like a uh, we're making guidelines or whatever they're involved they have a very you know important role to play within these these guidelines process and you know if the, if the government is is doing anything to do with cancer prevention yeah it's all about cancer research uk who are mates of Slimming World. And you just got to wonder, don't you? It just makes me so angry, so angry. These diets, just anything but health promoting. I just, and I, you know, speaking as someone who is absolutely knee deep, religiously dieting, and I thought these books and these programs, I thought they knew what they were talking about. And now looking back, obviously, you know, it's easier with hindsight. But like I say, some of the stuff that they peddle, when you look at it logically, it is, it's just anything but health promoting behavior. It's mm. anything but, it's quite the opposite. Even if, even if you're someone who 
because I'm someone who who took things to extremes and I did have full-blown eating disorders. But even if you're someone who's just sort of, you know, trying to do it a bit more casually, it's just still mind-blowing. And the thing that really bugs me is that it kind of teaches us to have a massive distrust of our own bodies. Mm. Like you're not not listening to your body if you think you need a program to tell you how to eat. Something I've found since quitting dieting as well is that my diet is actually quite naturally very balanced. And this is even someone who's neurodivergent with a lot of sensory aversions to certain foods. But if I haven't, like say at Christmas time, for example, there's a lot of foods that aren't normally around and you're, you know, you're eating more mince pies and Bailey's coffee and all that sort of stuff that is not a regular everyday thing. By January, my body is literally crying out for vegetables. Mm. And you just, I listen to my body so much better now. If I've had an occasion where there's been, you know, more quote unquote indulgent foods, my body will tell me and be like, let's get a few nutrients in there now, please. And it just miraculously does it on its own. Almost like my body knows how to keep me alive. It's just, oh, it's, it's maddening. It's absolutely maddening. And so to see people that we're supposed to trust with our health, pushing this stuff and not only pushing it in general for all fat patients, but if you've got a devastating diagnosis like cancer or potentially devastating diagnosis, it's like, by the way, go on this diet that is going to stress you and your body out. And, you know, in some ways, even fucking prevent you from eating fruit. Like it just, it, it's, it makes no sense. It makes yeah. no fucking sense. And you're so right in, in many of these diets, you know, they, they ration the amount of food that you have. Yeah. And, and if you decide you're going to go keto or whatever, you know, fruits, absolutely. You, you don't have it right. You have lots of meat. Yeah. And you don't have you don't have much fruit and um, even vegetables. You have to be careful about the kind of vegetables you're yeah. eating. Whereas I'm I'm not I'm not a nutritionist at all, but I do know <laughs> that when you have cancer, like maintaining you know all of your vitamins, your your B vitamins, your A's, your C's, your D's, your E's, all you need to maintain everything. Every nutrient has to be replaced and maintained because your mm. body, you know that act the cancer is actively sort of eating away at you. you. You that's why people lose a lot of weight. You know you're 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 in a sort of your your metabolic rate has massively gone up, and you need to get as much nutrition into you as possible and you know cutting out fruits vegetables literally is the worst thing you could possibly do yeah and yet we're sending people to something like that to me it's become I think we would rather people be thin than we would live like I think we have to choose between thinness now and death a lot of the guidelines I've been seeing recently I've just been like ooh you know, you are actually saying death is better. Um, you know, for example, bariatric surgery, you know, there's always at least oh. one death in every in every study. You know, one person died of complications. Oops, we won't talk about that one. Um, you just think that's actual death. I mean, that people are dying from this from the surgery, and and you've got no evidence to prove that it benefits you anyway, long term. No. So that's what I mean. Like you're invested, literally invested financially, invested in death over over anything else it's thinness and death that's that's where we're at and weight loss advice nowadays I've noticed actually does involve drugs and and surgery more than it does mm. go to slimming world now I've noticed that doctors are pushing especially in a larger lot you know in a, in a larger larger body they look at you and go well you're very fat we'll we'll just bypass all the rest and we'll go straight for that yeah surgery. yeah skip to the end yeah mm. I just think as well I I don't know if you've noticed this as well in the last few years I think because of the the rise in body positivity with the focus on how we look 
Mm. And, you know, it's okay to have to be a bit chubby and to have roles in this and that. People are rejecting diets a bit more on that basis. And so everyone's had to change tack and go to the kind of like, no, we really need to actually pathologize. Is that the right word? Pathologize this. Mm-hmm. And now everyone's screaming, oh, but health, health, look how mm. you want, but health, health, health. But except you're not saying look how you want because you automatically look at a fat body and assume that their health status is is not in a good way. Yeah. It's still the same message, just wrapped up in a different parcel. Right. And I noticed that cancer, you know, people always used to say, oh, if you're fat, you know, diabetes. They always said diabetes. They always said arthritis. Yeah. They said sleep apnea. And they said heart disease. Uh, without saying cancer's newer, right? And um, the data's, mm. you know, the data's really only been out in the last 20 years. And what it shows is an increased incidence of certain cancers in fat people. But here's what I find very fascinating. The cancers that are not increased in fat people, right? That are not. So there's premenopausal breast cancer, nothing to do with being fat. Brain cancer, lung cancer, and melanoma. All classic examples. Yeah. The ones that are most associated now, most associated with being fat, bowel, esophageal, stomach, a lot of the gastrointestinal ones, pancreas, that kind of thing. Now, how does lung cancer present? Well, that's easy. It presents with a cough. So as a doctor, someone's had a cough for longer than three weeks, don't care who you are, you get a lung, a chest x-ray. If mm. you're a smoker, I probably won't wait three weeks. Anyone who's had a cough longer than three weeks, chest x-ray. And that's how we tend to pick up lung cancers generally. Melanoma. How do you di- diagnose melanoma? Someone says, I've got a funny looking mole. You go, mm, don't like the look of that. You send them off to, to a clinic, right? Pick it up. Breast cancer. I've got a breast lump. Oh, you've got a breast lump. <laughs> Even if I can't feel it, it doesn't matter. I'll send you to the breast clinic. How's colon cancer picked up? Oh, I've lost a bit of weight recently. My appetite's not great at the moment. Oh, you know, I just, I feel like, I feel like I'm, I've just been a bit bloated. I feel, you know, my bowels aren't working quite right. Um, I'm a bit more tired, a bit short of breath. All of these symptoms, all of these symptoms are treated differently in fat patients. Oh, yes. I've, lost, I've lost a little bit of weight recently. Oh, have you? Congratulations. Oh, yeah, but my appetite's not great. And that's probably a good thing, isn't it? Um, get ignored, get bypassed. Nobody gets concerned. And so by the time we pick it up, it's much later. And that is the story of so many people. I'm not just making that up. Like there are so many people that have come to me and said, yeah, that's my story. I went in there and I said, I'm tired all the time. And the GP said, well, you're lazy. Go and do some exercise. I went in there and I said, I've lost my appetite. And they've gone, you must be joking. Look at the state of you and sent me away. Whereas if I had been a thin person that got in and said, I've lost my appetite, the doctor would have gone, oh, let's do some tests. And that to me, like the fact that lung cancer isn't associated with being in a big body or melanoma, but colon cancer and esophageal cancer are. To me, I'm like, well, as a doctor, I know how I pick those things up. And let's face it, as a GP, I'm the one that's picking most of these things up, or at least picking up the beginning bits and then passing them on. Yeah. You want to like say something good for the end? Go on. No. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I mean, it's just it just sucks. And, you know, in terms of studies... We need to start seeing these studies that are actually looking at people's socioeconomic status, mm. things like that, how that affects people's health. And even if you're taking the people's weight stig- uh, anti-fat bias out of it, you know, it, there's we're just a scapegoat, aren't we, fat people? We're just mm. a scapegoat always. 
And I and again, as I said earlier, I think people love to cling to it because number one, they love to be able to point something, point at something that isn't them, so they can go, "That's the bad thing," and mm. I can I I can choose not to be that, and therefore I'm morally superior. But this is a this is a constant struggle I have online is people genuinely genuinely think that their body size and weight is very easily manageable and controllable Mm -hmm. themselves and it's mostly people who are genetically naturally slimmer and it drives me up the wall because they're just one bad incident away from something happening that changes what happens to their body and their shape and size and weight right Mm -hmm. one thing can happen Mm -hmm. and it can tip everything out of out of their you know out of balance Mm -hmm. and I I don't know where well obviously obviously I do know but like why why when there's so much science out there and people like you are putting it forward to say look this is not the case people are just so obsessed with clinging to mm. the falsehoods mm. just because it's it's you know it's almost like we're sort of anti-learning like no don't give me new information not interested everything was fine the way it was because mm. they've got the privilege to you know not care well an anesthetic registrar um was horrible to me on twitter today you know and made some comment he said i i often wonder what happens to doctors and how they can go you know, their careers can be flung so widely off course or something like, I can't believe this is the hill you're willing to die on or something. I was like, have you read any of the information I've been no, putting out there? Like, you don't. What, what are you talking about? And, you know, my response to that was like, my God, you're an anaesthetist. Like people have died because of that fat phobia. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I, you know, I can always guarantee there are people that have died as a result of that horrible, nasty, you know, just, just, vicious fat phobia because there's some people that kind of go oh that's a lot of information but I'll have a listen and I'll have a think and there's some Mm. people that'll go okay I hear where you're coming from and I actually agree with you and there are some people who will just attack me and 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 they're doctors you know like that's their job and And you can present the evidence on a plate Mm -hmm. and it can be irrefutable and they Mm -hmm. will still close their eyes to it and go no 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 we're not rocking the boat no 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 I don't know what you think you're doing stop disrupting everything's fine as it is and of course it's them just trying to maintain their privilege Mm. you know I still need to believe that I'm superior to this person and that person because of all these factors Mm. and I still need to maintain the things that put me ahead in life even if they're not fully willing to be conscious of that you know Mm. they're not willing to accept that their whiteness for example sets them a step ahead they sure know how to scream when they feel it potentially slipping away (laughs) when there's people saying actually if you consider all of this stuff you don't deserve that step ahead that you've got not at all <laughs> and then they, they're suddenly like whoa 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 less of the information please we'll just rein that back in mm-hmm. and that's where you've got people that are actual doctors screaming their heads off going no 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 we're not doing this mm-hmm. and it's infuriating that's um that's like a really good way to end it that should be the yeah. like the byline or something you know like the quote that I choose to pluck out and advertise this podcast episode and it's infuriating to say the least (laughs) (laughs) says fat person on the internet (laughs) 
Folks, creating and maintaining a podcast requires long hours and lots of cash to burn. I love this podcast. I love pouring my heart and soul into everything that I do, but it isn't always easy. So if you'd like to support me and the work that I'm doing, I have a Patreon page. All the details are available on my website and in the show notes. Thank you for listening and I look forward to catching up with you next week.